0: I've driven home the point that you can't do everything at once, right? This means at some point you need to choose. And with that clarity of choice, everything else falls to the wayside. Suddenly a path emerges that was obscured before you made this choice. You now have a way forward for growing your business. You know what project you should be focusing on and which ones will become your focus after this one is completed you have a strategic plan that will allow you to stack your successes to create momentum and leverage your limited time. (laughs) feels good, doesn't it? There's one more thing you need to do before you can jump into the work you've so carefully defined. You need to declare your intention. This is a statement that you make to yourself, your accountability partner, and or your coach. It's what action you intend to take and what results you intend to see within a specific time frame. When I was finally ready to focus on writing my second book, I declared that I would have the rough draft written by early November. It was admittedly an audacious plan considering everything else I'm juggling, but I knew without a clear and tight deadline, I wouldn't make as much progress. Well, it's now early November as you're reading this. Hit reply and I'll let you know whether I met my goal or the plan I have to make it happen. If you're an entrepreneurial woman and you want to achieve greater impact and increased income, I encourage you to join the MORE program for entrepreneurial women. I will help you find the clarity to determine what is the right next step for your business. Together, we will design a 12-month strategic plan. There is a 90-day sprint to help you get clarity about your strategic next steps and then 90 more days to help you implement your vision. The early, early bird offer ends November 15th. That's where you'll save a third off the price and receive additional one-on-one time with me. Only four women will be in the cohort that begins in January. Will you be one of them? RobbieSamuels.com slash more for all the details. Your challenge for this week. Choose, focus on one major goal that you want to achieve this year. Vision, if you could wave a magic wand and get the results you want, What would they be? Be specific. What is the time frame that you plan to accomplish this? Plan. Map out a schedule to achieve these results. Declare. I am working on X and will have Y completed by Z. Accountability. Tell people, share your audacious goal with your accountability partner and or your coach and or your mastermind and or your mom, dad, parent, neighbor. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest helps people rediscover their own greatness by asking tough questions and sharing powerful truths. She works with busy leaders to leverage the exponential power of recognition to retain top talent. She's the author of Forever Recognize Others' Greatness, Solution-Focused Strategies for Satisfied Staff, High-Performing Teams, and Healthy Bottom Lines. Her book provides processes and insights needed to take action and make a positive difference. She believes when we find our potential again, our enthusiasm for what we do, we can begin to implement effective growth strategies for ourselves, our employees, and our workplace. To share this message, she runs Greatness Magnified, a six-figure coaching, speaking, and training business based on her brand, Frog, Forever Recognize Others' Greatness. Please join me in welcoming Sarah McDonnell.
1: Thank you so much, Robbie. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I am so excited you're here as well. Thank you for joining me. You're over in uh, Wine Country in Niagara, Ontario.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a tough life. Yes.
0: <laughs> welcome. Welcome. <laughs> so I, w- I just want to jump right in. This is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: Um, I think it's one of those things, you know, people often say are natural born leaders or is this something that you cultivate? I've always wanted people to feel empowered and better about their lives. And that was even as a kid. And so I, I probably that's the leader I showed up to be in my later life. I demonstrated as a kid. So one could probably make an argument that I've probably always been a leader, but I guess you know to your point and your question around how do you define leadership? It's I think I've always led, but it's it's leading really from trying to help people really tap into when they are at their best. I mean, I would be the kid who re- who couldn't laugh it, at people if they got hurt, and I'd like scold other people if they were laughing at somebody who was hurt which probably doesn't make you very popular. But, you know, it served me well later on in life because as I moved into organizational development and doing mediations and, you know, all kinds of very people-oriented um, support and and whether it be my own team or helping other leaders with their teams, um, really that's how we got the most, most out of people and helped to retain our best people.
0: It sounds like there's a, a piece of empathy in mm-hmm. there for you as you think about leadership, That the leaders should be aware of kind of where people are at, how they're feeling and how to, and, and with that in mind, encourage them to grow beyond what they think they can do.
1: Yeah. And really, I think if we all look back on the people who have made the biggest impact on our lives, and I would say that would be an argument for a definition of leadership any day, right? If somebody's made a big impact on your life, they've probably been a leader in some way. That could be a teacher. It could be a librarian. It could be your professor. When we were in the academic world, um, of course, um, coaches, bosses, colleagues, uh, whether it's big L leader, a formal leader, a small L leader... Um, when people really take the time to understand you value you and they appreciate who you are and they want to know you at your best and they want to bring it out, they allow you then to be a leader as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's a big part of empathy because when people feel valued, heard and known, they naturally bring more to the table where whatever personal or work situation where you can be cultivating other other leaders.
0: So who was it for you that saw that potential when you were little or that you looked up to in that way that that still, it resonates with you the way they led?
1: Oh, I love that question. You know, nobody's ever asked me that question before. I mean, my mom definitely is a leader for me. she always has been, and uh, she just always told us that if you want to do something, you absolutely can do it and and I guess I've always just i keep repeating that to other people <laughs> throughout my <laughs> life so she's probably the first person and i'm pretty pretty lucky to have had that you know influence in my life and and I guess when I look at people who don't have to love you. <laughs> Um, I remember having a grade nine uh, English teacher, Mr. Zito, and I, and I actually tried to write him a letter when I was in in university, thanking him for what he did. But he had retired, and our school closed, so I don't think the letter ever got to him. But you know, I had him all throughout school, and he always told me, despite the fact I kept telling him, "I'm not a writer, I'm not good at English." Um, I'm a talker, uh, and I was in the performing arts school. So I was do drama and dance and, and he'd say, no, you have an inner writer in you. No, you are, you have a message that the world needs to hear. And it actually makes me feel kind of choked up when I think about it, because I think that's part of his belief in me and his meeting me where I'm at, like as this insecure grade nine, and then a slightly less insecure grade 10 and all the way through to a perhaps braver, Overly confident OAC, much to be you know, much to of course everyone's chagrin and surprise. You know um, how we kind of cultivate that over the years of our schooling, but he just always believed that I had it in me. And sure enough, I've written multiple books and and have been able to find my voice. I you know release podcasts and or sorry um, blogs and vlogs every week. And he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And and I just. I just so value that in my life because I think it planted seeds that I, I sowed later on in life. Yeah. And that's I, really a leader, right. Who can notice that.
0: Absolutely. And it feels like you're, you're now paying that forward by recognizing other people's greatness. That is your sort of through line of your business. Yeah. And it, it clearly had such an impact on you to have this person see something in you that you didn't see for yourself and nurture that and encourage that in you. Um, because you were sort of, you were gravitating towards other forms of of expression mm-hmm. and thinking that that was my way of being in the world. And he, you know, and he's like, well, yes, but you also can do this other thing, yeah. which, which allowed even a greater expansion of your expression and who you could be in the world. Um, right. that's, that's a really beautiful story. And I hope that their message somehow does get back to him. I think he probably impacted a lot of people So, you know, I'm sure yeah,
1: he was so, it wasn't just with me. He wasn't his favorite. He was like that with everybody. And I, I do hope, I hope he, whether he won an award or people got that letter to him or whatever it is, I definitely hope it gets back to Mr. Zito, Z-I-T-O, if anyone else was taught by him, um, in here in beautiful Niagara. And, you know, it's funny that you say how that expression, you know, it, it, it uh, cascaded. I don't think those were your words, but that's kind of how I interpreted it. Um, I don't do a lot of speaking outside of the association and corporate world, but occasionally I have a rare opportunity to speak for student leaders in the college university sector. And I love those groups because these are, of course, that, you know, of of 15, 20,000 people at this college university, the 200 rock stars show up and they are so in action. And just last Saturday, I had the opportunity to speak at Conestoga College who really invest in their student leaders. They're, I really respect that college for what they do. And uh, it's amazing how many of those folks, I mean, they're in action. These are people who are like, oh yeah, I'm going to start a business and within five years, I'm going to do this. And like, uh, they're, they're creating bolder, beautiful, more courageous things that a lot of the people that I... Speak with on a day-to-day basis, who have already finished school and who have already got the big resume and the LinkedIn profile, and and occasionally I'll have folks come up to me kind of discreetly afterwards. And one gentleman who actually has my son's last name, so I guess or my son's name, so I guess I kind of you know really I knew that I, we must have had to have connected, you know, and um, and he said to me really quietly, um, "Do you think that I'm?" I, it's possible that I can do all the things that you wow. talked about, about around living and leveraging your greatness. And I said, every time you looked at me when I was doing my keynote, you were into it. You were 100% present. I could see the world wheels turning in your head. You didn't get on your phone. You didn't get distracted. You were smiling. You were, you were fully present. If you don't believe in your greatness, just think about how you showed up just to that one keynote, let alone all the other sessions that you've done today, and you were here. Mm-hmm. So never doubt that you are showing up big in your life and that you have you have tons of greatness inside of you because you've just you've just proven it just by by being here, how you showed up and the fact that you're asking me this question. So mm-hmm. let me ask you now, Justin are you greatness? And he goes, Oh yeah, I'm greatness. And so, you know, we could. I think we all can be a, a Mr. Zito for people. And it's amazing how many people don't believe they have that in them.
0: So you, you've had quite a journey to get to this point though. So you, you know, <laughs> you, you left us at grade 10, uh, and then maybe a more precocious grade 12. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, and then, you know, you were in university and then you on and beyond, um, you're now in this in world of environment uh, of entrepreneurship, uh, mm-hmm. coaching, speaking, training, uh, writing multiple books. So, what was that journey like for you? Like, what were the hiccups along the way? Was it a, Was it clear to you that this is where you wanted to go? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you make that shift? Because most people don't leave college and university and then immediately think, "Okay, I'm re- I'm ready for this like yes. world of entrepreneurship."
1: Yeah, no, I went on to grad school and if there's anybody who's more humble than an undergrad, it's a, it's a graduate student. So no, I it wasn't a straight line trajectory of, you know, rising to the top of Maslow's self-actualization pyramid. Um I, my I dabbled in doing a bunch of jobs that weren't the right fit for me because I thought I quote should do them. You know, I I I realized that my one of the things I wanted to do in the world is to be a helper. So I thought I was going to be a psychologist. And so I tried to become a therapist, you know, and and I mean, I did that as my education in my grad school, but realized that the medical model where we tell people what's broken about them and then we are the ones who fix them just never worked for me. I just always believe that people Have the answers within themselves, and really what I thought I wanted to become, um, but I didn't realize what it was called, is actually a coach. And I know Robbie, Mm. as as a coach yourself, you'll vibe with this, and I'm sure many of your listeners are as well. So I didn't find my path. I kind of stumbled around, but you know, my inner Mr. Zito whispering in my ear, I had put myself forward to write the first teacher's assistant guide to Brock University when I was there because we didn't have anything, we didn't have any manual for um, these young. completely like surprised and naive deer in a headlights, a teacher's assistance. And as a teacher's assistant myself, I realized the lack by not having that guide. So I was, uh, I, I took every adult education course I could along with my psychology undergrad. And then, and I loved it. And yet it's amazing, Robbie. I don't know if you've had this experience in your own life, how you resist the things that are so obvious to you because it's not according to the quote plan. So I got back to questioning while I was in these, the, you know, a helping profession that was not a good fit for me. And I was burning out at 25. I mean, imagine burning out at 25 and I'd only been in the workforce for two years. Obviously, it's not a good fit. And I asked myself, what have I done that I absolutely love? And it was teaching motivated adults. And so I got a job in a mental health hospital as an educator loved it. I'm like, "Oh, of course I would love this. This is what I love to do in university. This is my psychology degree coming here. I mean, it's and I just my career skyrocketed from there. I was uh, got into organizational development and human resources and then got promotion after promotion. But where I think, you know, a humble period of time in my life and I suspect some listeners will really relate to this is you get them so busy climbing that trajectory and you're on the ladder, and then you're doing everything now that other people expect of you. My parents have been entrepreneurs, so they're like, phew, we've got two, our two kids have pensions and have benefits and have secure jobs. Great. But my son had a mental health crisis when he was 10. And all of a sudden I was faced with this reality that things were not quite as perfect as we had tried to make them they these the this, it seemed on the surface that everything was working right the two cars the spouse the house the cottage the you know the lifestyle but really we were drowning in debt and we were not connected to each other enough to be able to see what was going on and i just felt like a total failure so i left my job Gave lots of notice um, and uh, loved my job. We sold our house, we sold our cottage, we sold everything, but the cars needed the cars. Kept the kids pretty attached to them, and we rebuilt our life here in in back in Niagara, which is where I'm from, and um, started a business. Not having a business degree or have the foggiest clue what to do, but just held the lesson that you need to just follow your passion and tap into. You know, to your point around this shows about relationship building, networking. I'd always been, I always desperately cared about people, like loved, loved, loved the people that I work with. When I, when, in the previous position I was in, I was responsible for partnerships and, and community relationships and um, public relations and, you know, leading change projects in our organization. It was not hard to then go out and reach out to those people and say, Hey, guess what? I'm on my own. Now I'm working for myself is there anything I can do for you? Here are all my skills. And I had a full caseload of work. I mean, I figured out how to more efficiently run a business after that. Cause of course that's, a, thank you, Robbie. I, he's clapping for me, everybody. Yeah. Um, and then I figured out really quickly that where my passion is, is recognition and about how, if I can, if I can help organizations and individuals recognize themselves and others, then that actually will help to address this thirty only 30% of the workforce actually being satisfied. So that's kind of how I found my path really to mm-hmm. what I do today. And hopefully as filled in the gap between grade 10 and the precocious <laughs> grade 12 to the 42-year-old, perhaps still precocious 42-year-old. Um, but the failures really, the biggest failure that I experienced was, was failing my son. But it ended up being like I thank him every single day, and by the way, he's doing really, really well. So, like, if your leaders are going, "Oh, wait a minute, what what happened to what happened to her son?" He's doing so incredibly well, and we're like, I was just sitting with him on the couch, looking out at our beautiful like leaves changing. Here we live in a gorgeous part of the world, and we're just kibbutzing on the couch. And he calls me mom, so he's like, "So, moms, what do you think? Do you think we live in the most beautiful place in the world?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And do you think we have the most beautiful family in the world? He's like, yeah. So I just love great. the fact that I have a 10-year-old who's like dressed like super fly and cool. And, you know, he's, I'm sure he'd never talk like that to anybody else at school. But we we found our leadership within our family, too. Yeah. And and really, it's all kind of the same thing.
0: It's Thank you for filling in the gaps. And it <laughs> sounds like you've had quite the journey. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I've had very few guests on who don't have some sort of broken road. Yeah. career path um, where they had to like, go, oh, this way, oh, nope, a little bit of that way. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like all along, you also carried with you some core beliefs, um, what was important to you and that you had to really listen to your own intuition. And when you ignored your intuition is mm-hmm. when you ended up in places that were not a good fit. So everyone needs to do that for themselves. Like listen to the, your intuition. Mm-hmm. What do you sort of call to do? And that piece about we tend to ignore what we are really good at because we, we don't think it's the thing we can make money at. And that's yeah. that's like entrepreneurship in a nutshell. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. what do people usually ask you about? Mm-hmm. And you feel confident in answering, okay, could you charge for it? <laughs> it's like, yeah. If, if there's something that you get asked about all the time that you feel confident speaking on, then the next question is, is that a market? And you know, what's amazing in today's world is that anything can be a market because we can market it ourselves. I think when you and I were starting out in our, early in our careers, we didn't have a lot of these tools. Mm-hmm. So it didn't seem as accessible as it might be for, you know, generation coming behind us, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I just interviewed someone, uh, I think it airs a little bit, um, but she's never had, you know, much of a day job. Like she kind of went from, mm-hmm. you know, college or university Sort of into entrepreneurship because it was available to her. Yeah. Um, but she's got like, you know, she's like 20 years younger than I am. So she's, mm-hmm. it's just like amazing what she's been able to do uh, really quickly. Ugh. So um, it sounds like you, this piece about recognition, how, how did you figure out that that was the thing? Because mm-hmm. it feels kind of amorphous. Like, um, like, how did you define the that I mean, you're right. Like thirty percent of people hate their, you know. Oh, sorry, they're only thirty percent of people love their jobs. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't uh, feeling good about that. Most people who who realize that are, end up as career counselors of some kind mm-hmm. or career coaches, helping people sort of like be their best selves. You're actually working with people while they're still on teams, mm-hmm. to, right to help them be more present mm-hmm. and 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 stay engaged. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I work in corporate, um, often in the form of a keynote, um, but sometimes doing leadership development as well. And I also speak for associations. So sometimes these are the, you know, people from across the country who come together and we talk about um, leveraging the exponential power of recognition, whether it is within themselves, that that is all they feel they have control over and they're working in a really toxic environment or, you know, recognizing just a few people that they feel like they're not going to get their head bitten off if they, you know, if they put themselves out there right through to trying to completely transform the organization to a recognition centric culture, which really Mm -hmm. then leads the way to more engagement and a greater level of trust, more satisfaction with management, the things that are harder nuts to crack, but recognition is the, is the way in. So, you know, to your, to your question, answer your question, Robbie, around how did I pick that? How did I know that was the thing to build a career on? Is um, well for one thing. I think I've always built my career on that. You know, I've always been the one who valued and validated people, and that's why I think I've had the success I've had in my career. And it's, it is a core value, of course. However, sometimes when you live your core values, it's just so obvious that you know you need to just do more of it in the world. And so um, when I would go in, uh, what and whether it's me or by the time I became a manager, it was people within my team. Anytime we tried to help a leader or a team where a situation was imploding, leverage recognition first, it got us so much traction. When we try to do other things like team norms and you know all the other like standard open up a book on teams and like try this exercise, try that one, when it was a bit of a like a throwing spaghetti at a wall, see what worked. It took so much longer Mm. and we'd have a lot of false starts. So we just got in the habit of start with recognition, self-recognition, because burnt out teams, people do not see their own greatness anymore, especially if there's been bullying and toxic behavior and disruptive behavior. Um, And then when they see the the greatness within themselves, they begin to naturally notice it within each other and um and they also are more productive, the more focused, the more efficient, they make less errors and therefore it's safer, it costs you know, we waste less money, people are more likely to express their ideas and so there's greater continuous improvement and in innovation and all of this we validated my co-author and I um somebody that used to work for me actually, we wrote a book on this which is what you read at the, at the top of the intro. And so we actually found in our careers that this was the game changer for people, and so recognition for us really became. Um, we we, be, we became curious about um, if this is this just something magical that we do, or could this actually improve others? And we went to a Canadian engagement survey company called Metrics at Work, and we said hey, we'd love you to nose around your data of a quarter of a million engagement survey data points and see if you can separate out the 20 least satisfied teams and the 20 most to see if, in fact, there is something to this recognition thing that we keep seeing hundreds of times over. Um, And sure enough, they found the least satisfied compared to the most. There's a huge dramatic statistically significant in Satisfaction with leadership, trust in the organization, continuous improvement in behavior, overall engagement, and intention to stay, which we know is the best predictor of low return, low turnover. So it became a financial as well as a human call to action to leverage recognition more in the workplace. And the thing that I love perhaps most about it, because I, you know, my roots are not for profits and I work with so many associations. Who don't have a lot of money and want to keep the money in where the you know the value is created at the people level? It costs nothing to virtually nothing to do the way to to practice recognition the way most people want it, and yet, you know, we're both in Canada, right, Robbie? You're you're in Canada, or Uh, are you in the states?
0: Boston, Massachusetts. You're in
1: Boston. Okay. So in, in, in Canada, we've validated this research and I'm sure I, I don't have the research study to give you for the US stat, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it can, I can find it if you want to put in your show notes in Canada, the number one spend on recognition is actually not how people most want to be recognized, mm. validated. The top three ways we found in our, in our analysis, number one, you could probably guess them. How, what do you think? How do you think you and your listeners most want to be recognized and valued, Robbie?
0: Uh, with a specific detailed compliment.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So number one, 95% of people say a verbal thank you. Number two, personal specific words of acknowledgement, just what you just said. And number three, a written thank you. And when you can like combine those, it's a verbal thank you with the personal specific or it's a written note and personal specific, you like go. Right. And yet in Canada, over 50% of our effort, our money, and our time are going towards long service awards dinners. So, I mean, I'm not going out telling all your listen, listeners, cancel those, because if you've got employees who are in year 24 and they're waiting for that pin, you don't want to be the one to take it away from them. But if you're not recognizing people every single day, whether it's a post note on their computer, texting them an acknowledgement picking up the phone telling them face to face if they're tired they've been working hard for you bring them a tea exactly how they want it like whatever love language you know sort of appreciation language I should say fits for them and and if people want like to, to have a tool to be able to capture that information to find out how does Robbie want to be recognized versus Sarah versus you know Glenna um, they could go to my website greatnessbagnified.com and under cool stuff there's all kinds of free resources including a recognition and motivation assessment tool. Um, but that's, that's the, that's one of the things I'm hoping to do is, is help organizations. And we've learned this through our experience and, and help individuals just to recognize in the ways that people most want to be valued and recognized. And frankly, that's almost always simple things. Mm-hmm. Like a thank you, like a personal specific acknowledgement, like a written thank you. If somebody's a millennial, you can probably get by by text them, texting them or an IG post or a DM. Um, and but just take having the intention as a leader of valuing your people will get you farther than just about anything else.
0: I mean, a well placed emoji could do wonders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Not the so, poop emoji. Like, yeah, just no,
0: a, a, a good, a good emoji. A good so, emoji. I mean, these these dinners just basically are, are uh, not a replacement for everything else. They uh-huh. should be part of the mix because you're right. There's a moment where everyone comes together and it, it could feel really good. Uh-huh. And particularly these long term employees that have stuck it out without uh-huh. necessarily getting the recognition every year, uh-huh. and ever throughout the years that they've been there. Um, so I, it also sounds like you've met people through all your iterations of your career, uh, as you are speaking at all these different conferences, working with all these different associations and companies. So since we are a show also about building relationships and networking,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: how are you nurturing or sustaining, I might call it, the, the relationships that aren't the closest ones? Mm-hmm. So not the people that you see regularly and really know, and they're, they're constantly in your, you know, on your mind, but the people that you like meet and you really hit it off with them, but you're not working with them right away. Um, <clears throat> or when you're traveling, do you try to reconnect with people that you know through previous parts of your life? And you mentioned earlier that when you did uh, sort of start out, quote unquote, on your own, uh, that you did reach out, that you didn't hesitate, because I mm-hmm. think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So t- talk a little bit about sort of how did you think about bringing in people from your past and how do you sort con- of in the today moment, uh, mm-hmm. bring people sort of along with you?
1: It's mm-hmm. a great question. Um, a lot of people say negative things about social media and Facebook, but honestly, that's a big place where I, now I'm an extrovert. So Facebook's an extrovert's playground because you can have conversations with people, you can't keep up with them. You can see what's going on in their lives. I mean, I I think it's great. And in the spring, I saw a lot of people from my past, my former massage therapist who is amazing but has, has been going through a terrible time since, you know, we moved away. And um, former classmates of mine, people again, I don't see on a regular basis, but following their story sharing, you know, about challenges with mental health or sadnesses and losing their family and I just saw this trend around people that I I didn't know super personally anymore and and didn't have that kind of relationship frankly or the time to have lengthy conversations with a lot of people but that I thought how could I serve how could I support how could I bring some lightness to their life so I started a great a Facebook group called great happy people and I made it a public group and I just like you know you put your rules like don't be mean to each other and don't sell to each other this is no sales here this is just uh, a positive space to help each other, and we have thirty uh, three hundred people now in that group. So six months later, and and there are people who will reach out and say, "I am not a happy person today." And the love that people give each other—I mean, of course, I s- love up my group because—and I'm on there every day. I, um, if I'm traveling for speaking, I always check in with it in between flights and all of that stuff. Um, and the what i te- what i occasionally i'll ask people what difference does this make in your life and people will say i feel supported it's the place i go for hope every morning if i'm having a bad day i'll hop on the facebook group and so that's one way i i am able to show support that feels really authentic to me because i can support 3,300 people in my own way and encourage other people to do the same. So we're crowdsourcing Mm. people to recognize and value themselves. And when they're not feeling good, it is a safe place to say, this is not a good day. This does not feel good for me. And people who don't even know each other from around the world show up to support. Um, so that, I mean, that's one way Another way is when I connect with people such as that gentleman Jason he bought he bought two of my books even though he's a student he probably didn't have a lot of money to buy a bunch of books fortunately my books are not textbooks and they're not that expensive and I said to him as he's sharing his experience he said stay in touch with me like let uh, connect with me on all the forms of social media and he asked me permission is it okay if I connect with you in linkedin I said anywhere I am mm. and, which is everywhere <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> anywhere I am connect with me and you know join this group and and you know be part of my you know, subscribe to my youtube channel comment how can i help you if i can help you related to this topic put it in the comments i respond to every comment unless i miss it entirely which generally my va calls me out on it if i do um I just encourage people who have bravely and, and supportively and boldly and generously shared a story with me at the end of a keynote, I'll say, can you please stay in touch with me? And, and that's, that's the beauty of having social media now is that if people want to, they can stay in your world and you can continue to support them. A person who does this super well is Dan Martell. He's, um, He started Clarity, um, a very profitable um, company, uh, tech um, uh, app and service. And when he sold his business, he left that business with a lot of money, but he now serves. I mean, not only does he coach other SaaS designers, uh, software as a service for SaaS, but also he started a charity because he was an at-risk youth himself. And so now he goes out and he physically goes on site and he supports at-risk youth. But any at-risk youth or anyone at-risk or stress themselves who reach out to him, I know for a fact he gets back to them. Hmm. He may not be able to get back to them the same day because this dude's super busy. But he, he, and he just, you know, talk about the emojis everything is like with the prayer emoji like ingratitude and yet he's the one serving so i i my one of my big things and my husband doesn't agree he doesn't even have a facebook profile he thinks it's the devil but anyway, that's fine um i say like you know share your share your love share your genius share your support stay connected with people through whatever social media form or a or live forum that fits for you because it's going to be different for everybody. I'm sure you found that, Robbie, with all the guests you've interviewed.
0: Yeah, I've never had someone say that they've put together a group like this. Great, happy people. That's that's just really brilliant. And um, I, I would, uh, I'll would, i look it up and we'll put a link in the show notes so that awesome. more people who are listening can, can join this amazing community you've created. And I, I love the idea of crowdsourcing recognition, both self-recognition, reminding you to have self-recognition and recognizing others in a safe place to go when that's uh, it's harder, because there are days where it's sort of harder. Um, and and I, I love that it came from a place where you were trying to figure out how to serve and support these people who were sort of in your life, but not currently uh, closely in your life. And it's like, it's hard to figure out how to do that. And so- social media, there are people who are posting some really uh, deep and painful moments of their life there. And they're putting it out to the universe and you're not sure you know, who's going to respond, how to respond in these moments. Um, and then when you're traveling, since uh, you're a fellow extrovert, as am I, um, <laughs> does, do you uh, do you look ahead to see who do you know in the city that you're going to and then organize some gatherings or... You kind of hole up in the room.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm actually a a bit of an enigma in that I'm a family-centered entrepreneur. And so I don't do that because I go work as fast as I can and most efficiently to get back home. So, I mean, I I don't fly unless I absolutely have to. I don't fly the same day as my engagement so that my clients don't worry that I'm not there. And as soon as I get there, I check in. And that's one of the reasons why I think I get so much repeat business is because people say, oh, you're reliable and you're easy to work with and all that stuff, which is great. So I'll fly in the day before, um, but I want to conserve my energy for my clients. And I generally have lots of work I'm trying to you know, keep, keep going while I'm, while I'm away from the office. And so I kind of check in, I try to get to bed early and then I get up, I show up super high energy, add lots and lots of value. And then I hop on a plane that same day and come home to my family. Mm-hmm. So um, it seems a bit contradictory, you know, here, she's an extrovert. And yes, I, you know, I have amazing speaking colleagues, past clients, people who have heard me speak that I, that I do stay connected to uh, through these forms of social media we just talked about And I would love to be able to spend time with them. And sometimes I can make it happen. You know, sometimes we're in the same community and they'll say, oh, hey, I see your," you know, because I make it very public. Hey, I'm flying from here to here. And then they'll reach out to me. And if it works out, like I'm there over dinner and I'd love to eat dinner with somebody rather than, you know, by myself. But I generally... um, I generally try to save so much of myself for my family Mm -hmm. and and be ridiculously good at what I do while I'm there and have so much energy for the people at the conference or at the event Mm -hmm. that I actually find, and maybe this is a function of getting a bit older, I don't have as much extroverted energy as I did when I was younger. So it it actually exhausts me, if you could believe it, Robbie, to show up to do a morning keynote. And then usually I'll offer to do a breakout session as well for those people who want to do an even deeper dive into you know what I'm talking about, which is almost always recognition, or it's my motivational keynote, living and leveraging your greatness. And so these really, really super motivated people intensely showing up, wanting to bring this into their life, or I'll share at the end of my keynotes, how we in our, in our family had to um, Had to live our own lesson the hard way. Or, you know, I talk about my son's, um, journey, mental health journey, and us having to rebuild our family. That's almost always my closing keynote story. People will come up to me and they will share their own version of struggle, whether it's past or it's present, there's tears. Sometimes there's, there's ask for help. And so to be able to be available for people with that level of intensity My networking happens, I guess, Robbie, this is how I could sort of tie it back to what you're saying around relationships and networking. I do it there and I just believe that the people who I need to connect with are gonna show up right in front of me and I don't know who they are. So by not overscheduling myself, I can be super, super present and serve whoever shows up in my path.
0: It's such a gift too, that the idea of being very present with the people Uh, as they are in front of you, because Mm -hmm. that gift most people aren't able to offer. They're overscheduled. They're they're running off to the next Mm -hmm. thing. Probably because you have such presence and actually see them when they're standing there in front of you, they are more likely to want to stay in touch with you through various Mm -hmm. social media and reach out to you uh, and participate in your community and all those things. Whereas if you had more of a cursory connection, mm-hmm. um, we're not as present, we're sort of clearly ready to move on to the next six things, um, people maybe wouldn't be gravitating towards you. So it, it's an interesting model to, to recognize There is other, there are so many ways to sort of show up in the world mm-hmm. to attract people to you, um, to be doing good work. You're doing all those things. So like kudos, because that all sounds fantastic.
1: Thanks for frogging me
0: probably yeah. forever Ooh.
1: recognizing others greatness. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so if we're chatting uh, a year from now, we're kind of reflecting on all the amazing things that you've accomplished in the past year. I want to know, what are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking <gasps> forward
1: to? Oh my God. I love, 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 love fellow coaches. Oh my god, I love this question. Um okay. So in a year from now, we will be celebrating. So one of the ways that I have shown I've realized I'm des- I'm here to show up to serve is to help other people make the leap from corporate into their own business and to stand tall in their greatness when they feel burnt out and and sort of they d- don't feel like they perhaps have what it takes to do that side hustle or that business that will allow them to escape that that not so great situation or like in my case to be able to move into um, something that supports their lifestyle or their family in a way that they never anticipated was going to show up as a roadblock or a challenge. So just this week, actually, um, I launched a program, um, Eight Weeks to Freedom. So this is a virtual program to help um, entrepreneurs launch their side hustle, their full-time biz. So I'll have served 100 people who are not feeling tied to um, a light, uh, to a paycheck or the golden handcuffs. If they choose to stay, they choose with intention. If they choose to go, they go out and they crush it, um, or a combination thereof. Right. So, in a year from now, that service will have resulted in supporting people to have more control over their lives and bring more people into the world of entrepreneurship in whatever shape or form that looks like for them. Um, and I guess the other thing we'll be celebrating is that my next book will be out and I do not care if it's a bestseller. I'm not one of these people who care. Like I just want the right people to read it. And if that is five or if that's 5 million, (laughs) we'll figure that out as we go. But yeah, we'll, the next book around, um, which is actually about failure, surprisingly, um, because um, in the research I've done of interviewing, interviewing amazing people, Everest climbers, award-winning journalists, 3M scholars, like the whole range, um, about their greatness, because I was going to write a book on greatness, because here I am, you know, greatness is part of my brand. And the number one thing I heard from every single one of those people is that they have a very different orientation to failure. Mm. They seek it. They strive for it. They know that it's going to help them be the best version of themselves. And so what I'm writing a book on is um, how when you can recognize your greatness and the greatness in others when there's failure... The rest, everything else is easy. So Mm. I didn't actually realize until after these interviews um, that actually that was the deeper story of recognition that I want to tell now, next. That's the next phase of the recognition chapter. Um, So that book will be out too and I'll be super proud about it. Um, And I will be sending you a copy and you'll be enjoying it.
0: That all sounds amazing. I love the evolution that you're on. I love that you're sort of open to what it becomes and you're not... Uh, interviewing people and just trying to shove what they say into a thesis that you had pre, you know, pre-written, um, but you were like, what, what is coming from all of this that I need to listen to, be open to, and how do I sort of follow that thread, um, following it from what I've done to where I might be going next. <clears throat> so the, the real question here then is, how can people find you and follow your work?
1: Well, uh, I'm everywhere on social media, so Sarah McVannell, M C V A N E L. So I'd love to be connected to all of the rock stars to listen to your amazing podcast, Robbie. Um, And my website's greatnessmagnified.com. So you know we've got a weekly newsletter that comes out where I have a vlog and a blog talking about some juicy element around living and leveraging your greatness at work and in life um and you know i just uh i'm i there's a contact me form so if some if there's something very specific we've talked about uh, around how let's say recognition can help them in their organization if sadly they are part of that only you know that that large 70% of workplaces that where people don't feel valued or recognized and engaged um uh, maybe there's a way that i or my colleagues in our company can can help them um so yeah, I, I'd say people will kind of have a choose your own adventure about how they can connect with me. And I love that.
0: This is awesome. Thank you for sharing all the resources. We will have all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Sarah, thank you so much for for spending time with us.
1: Robbie, you are a rock star. I'm thrilled to schmooze with you and uh, and, and with all of your people.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sarah. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 119. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. And as I mentioned earlier, the next cohort for the MORE program for entrepreneurial women begins this January. It's a six-month program to help you take your business to the next level through relationship-based strategies. The early early bird offer of one third off and an additional amount of time with me expires November 15. So check out the details at RobbieSamuels.com forward slash more, and then let's find a time to chat about what, whether working together will help you achieve greater impact and increased income. Interested in one-on-one coaching? Well, I do offer a few different options. Reach out and we can schedule a complimentary chat to see how I can help you. If you enjoyed this episode with Sarah, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com.
1: That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.